Our passage for today is also in your bulletin, Exodus 20, verse 7. We are uh, going through the Ten Commandments this spring, and the question we're asking is, what role does the law play, the moral law, in the Christian's life? I think for many of us, and maybe our generation, my generation, younger generations, there's been a move away from the law. We, we live under grace. Older generations maybe sought to live by the law, but the gospel actually changes the law for us, or rather, it changes our orientation to the law. And an example I've been giving that I'll give again is this idea that if, if I'm personally not really excited about home improvement, that's just not my thing, so I probably don't see as many problems in my house. But if someone rang the doorbell and said, there's a team of us here, we're going to fix your house, show us the problems, I would begin to find cracks and loose doorknobs and anything, right? Because I want help. And that's what the gospel does. It frees us, now that we know we're no longer under law, we're under Christ, to start looking at our lives and say, Jesus, we want to grow and become like you. And the moral law takes on a whole new feeling for us. It no longer threatens us. So I hope that's starting to come across. We've looked at the first two commandments. And now we'll come to this third one, which uh, is found again in your bulletin from Exodus 20. Verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. That is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy. We confess that our flesh is tempted at every turn to treat you and turn you into an ogre, to turn you into a mean God. And even just reading the commandment can often make us quiver, but not because of who you really are, but because of our unbelief. So I pray this morning your spirit would open our eyes to see the beauty of your love, that you name us, that we are yours, and that we would long to never take your name in vain. Amen. A few years ago, uh, one of our children was in a, a, um, a um, flag football game. We were on a field. And we're just walking along this field, and I noticed a, a diamond on the ground. And it wasn't just any diamond. It was a gigantic, like, three-carat diamond. And I showed my wife pretty excitedly. She's like, Ryan, that's, a, that's fake. It's a CZ, Cuban zirconium. But I, I held on to it just in case, right? What if, what if this was a real diamond? I also wondered, maybe we were in Edmond at the time, a lot of wealthy, you know, wedding rings walking around, maybe just fell out of someone's wedding ring. So I had it for a while, thinking eventually someone would come forward and say, I lost my three-carat diamond probably at the game, and I'd be the hero. No one, ever, uh, no one ever turned in a lost diamond. And I came across it a few months later. I thought, let's go, I'm going to go to a jeweler and just see, what if this is real? I mean, you know what, because I, I took it to a glass on our window, I just kind of did the little scratch test, and it scratched the glass. I'm thinking, I've got a three-carat, flawless diamond, and no one's wanted it money. So we go to the jeweler, and um, I think we're about 10 feet away from the, de from the desk when they're shaking their head no. I have no idea how that happened. I was like, you haven't even looked. Well, they humored me. You know, it's, it's not real. It's fake. I felt ashamed. Um, and I remembered years before, 20 years before, buying an actual diamond, thinking that was real, and it was, thankfully, honey. But I had to get it appraised for our insurance, and the guy looked through it and started explaining, you know, this is a good diamond. There are some flaws. And it turns out, 
That's okay, right? Some flaws are good. But there's something about the interior of a diamond that I don't know about, maybe some of you do, that makes it authentic. And in the same way, Christians, the Bible from the very beginning is, is not interested in mere external performance. That is a lie of our culture. That's the lie of our own hearts. God is interested in what's going on inside of you. And that's where the, that's where the external comes from. That's where our holiness comes out of. And this, um, this commandment is powerful because it's saying the Gospel calls us to be the same on the inside as we appear on the outside. Right? Authenticity. Okay, so that's what we're looking at this morning is this commandment. And if I were to ask you, uh, we have the first five commandments, spread them out and look at them, which is the easiest to interpret? Many would say this one. Right? The first one, have no other gods before me. That's kind of confusing. What's an idol? The second one deals with worship. The fourth, the Sabbath. That's next week. I hope you all are here. We can plug through that one together. How do you interpret that today? Uh, how do you honor your parents, father and mother? Like That makes sense when you're a child, kind of. But when you're an adult, like if you're 60 and your parents are 90 and they want you to quit your job, do you do that? I mean, what's the... But the third one is straightforward. Right? Stop cussing. I mean, right? Okay, maybe not cussing, but stop saying God's name in vain. Right? Isn't that what it says? Isn't that what it means? That's the, that's, the, that's the depth of that commandment, it seems. And let me just say, I think it does also mean that, by the way. Like, I think our culture, this is a, an aside, an excursus, for those of you that are into scholarship. Uh, I do think we need to really watch ourselves on the OMG and the, you know, God does not want us to use his name in vain. Okay? But that's not the heart behind this passage, or at least not the main point. So let's pick this uh, apart. There aren't a whole lot of words. A couple of things to make a note about it, this commandment, is it's a negative, like eight of the ten. And the negative is um, actually helpful for learning. When you drive down the street and you see a, a sign that says go 45, it's a very simple, don't go over 45, I got it. What you don't want is a sign that tells you to have your hands at 10 and 2 and just start stating all the positive driving methods. Does that make sense? Another example is the mirror. When you look in the mirror, when you're washing your hands, you're not looking at your face to go, where is my nose? Where is my eye? You're looking, do I have a piece of cheese? Or a piece of green stuff? I'm good, and you're out the door. So the negative is a way to just simply say, this is what not to do. The rest you're free to do. Okay? Um, so it's negative. That may or may not have made total sense, but we can talk about it more later. There are other theories as well as why eight or, uh, the ten are negative. It's also one of the few that gives the repercussions, which we'll go into later as well. But what I want to focus on are the words. Take, the, the word take, the word vain, and the word name. So the word take, and if you're waiting for the points in the sermon, again, we're just going to walk through this. Those aren't necessarily the points. We're just going to walk through these words. The word take is also the word you see in, no, um, in the Genesis account of the flood, carry that the floodwaters carry the ark away. Take is way more profound than, the, word, than the, the idea of say, right? That's what we sort of turn, don't say the Lord's name in vain, or don't use. It's more carrying. It's, it's, it's more um, lifting involved and more ownership involved. Like, so the waters are carrying the ark away. It's a much richer word. And the word vain has um, the meaning of emptiness. 
The meaning of shallowness and nothingness. And that really does make sense. We use vanity today in that mindset. We, you know, don't be so vain. What are we saying? Don't get so caught up on externals. Right? Don't be so worried about an external appearance or something like a car you drive or a home you live in because that's empty if internally it's not cohesive. Those are the words take and vain. But the biggest thing we have to look at is the idea of name. That, that God is saying, and what another interesting note, by the way, the first commandment says, you shall have no other gods before me. That's the first person. In the third commandment, he says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. He doesn't say, don't take my name in vain. And again, we aren't told exactly, we don't know exactly why, but one of the, one of the possibilities is, by making it into the third person, he's emphasizing the fact that once you do make it empty, it no longer resembles God. Does that make sense? And all of a sudden, we might be using the name of God associated with something, but it's no longer the substance any longer. Because a name carries with it a lot of meaning, not only in Scripture and in ancient times, but even in present times. In the Scripture, we know that when God called Abram, he changed his name to Abraham, right? Sarai to Sarah. We know in the New Testament, Saul of Tarsus becomes Paul. Simon becomes Petros, Peter. God's very interested in naming, right? But not only in the Bible, even now, if, if someone slanders you, what we even say in legal language is that you're, you, know, you slandered their name. You dragged their name through the mud. Because your name is really, in essence, you. Right? Uh, what is your, you know, your online person? We, we talk about what makes a person. Is it your what you look like? Is it your voting record? What makes you who you are? And the word name simply is an easy way to capture all of what makes you who you are. So what God is saying then in the third commandment is we are not to take his name as empty. We are not to, he's talking to Christians. He's saying, Christian, if you are called Christian and, and you are using my name and you are doing things in my name and you are saying you're one of my people, then your life has to look the same inwardly and outwardly as you profess. Does that make sense? In Matthew 7, Jesus gives, we went through the Sermon on the Mount uh, last year, but in Matthew 7, the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has these words that feel very difficult to understand at first. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. Now, the repetition there is a way of showing intimacy or showing importance. He's saying even the people who are that serious about me aren't necessarily automatically entering the kingdom of heaven. They will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Wow. That's a very, that's intense. Right? What is going on in that passage? I'm a preacher. Can you imagine if I died in a car accident what if I just stopped right there and we all like went on to the next thing? And I'm before the throne of God 
And God says, why should I let you in? And I say, because I'm a preacher. I preach. And I pray sometimes. And I talk to people about you. The point is, that's never why I would go to heaven. That's never why any of us would go to heaven. We go to heaven because we have the name of Christ. Intimacy. Jesus ends that little bit by saying, depart from me, I never knew you. We weren't close. We weren't intimate. I wasn't on you. I wasn't in you. And so the Bible, all the way back in Exodus, God is saying, I am your God. I am who has, I've called you by name. You're mine. And from now on, that's your identity. That's where you are going to be known. That's who you're going to be. Wow, that's a lot. But it's, it's true. and It's beautiful. What does it look like if that's true of you? What would be some things that might change? And I want to just talk about a few areas of, that I want to focus on in light of this commandment. The first is speech. Um, you know, our word, words are important. And so even though this commandment doesn't directly say, don't speak the Lord's name in vain, it clearly would, would then indicate, be um, translated into however your speech is part of the package. In other words, whatever I say really does reveal what's going on inside of me. I thought about talking about cussing and cursing. I would love to have that conversation. Maybe tonight at youth group, if you want to show up, maybe we could dig in. I know that theologically, you all had some discussions before I was here on, is it sin to curse? But the Bible does have a lot to talk about words in, in, in general and their power. For one thing, in Genesis, God begins by creating by words. Right? He, that detail did not have to be given, but he does. He spoke creation into being. When mankind was seemingly becoming too unified and too powerful, he confused language at the Tower of Babel. Right? Language is powerful. I'm going to just read a few uh, proverbs on words. And I'm not going to name where the proverbs are because then they will slow us down. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Through patience, a ruler can be persuaded, and a gentle tongue can break a bone. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise bring healing. These are just a few proverbs showing the importance and the power of our words. And not only our words toward other people, but words toward us. I had a friend in Colorado who told me, he said, Ryan, I don't sing to this day in a church service or anywhere. Anywhere where people are supposed to be singing, I'm quiet. And I said, well, that's great. Everybody at Grace does the same thing. Just kidding. Um, little joke, little jab. Um, but he said, the reason is when I was five years old, and this is shocking, at five years old, they were in a little you know, on a, on a riser, I imagine I'm on a riser trying to sing the song, and the kid next to him said, you can't sing. Five years old, and he stopped singing for the rest of his life. I didn't ask him to prove it, but um, the, the assumption would be, maybe he's a great singer, we'll never know, because those words wounded him. Words can wound us, we wound others with our words, but wounds can also bring healing. Other ways that words are um, to be used, just some thoughts would be honesty, fewness of words, calm words, aptness to a situation, constructive, kind, 
In other words, when the Lord is working inside of you, when you are walking in Christ in partnership with Him, these are the kinds of words that would come out. Right? And in Matthew, I'm going to shift around my pages. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 12. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. Listen to this. You brood of vipers. He's talking to Pharisees. What were wrong with the Pharisees? Listen to what he says. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. So Jesus is saying not just the words that are out there are bad, that's the problem, but they're coming from a bad heart. And so the question that this commandment, the third commandment, is opening our eyes to is how are we inside? How are we internally walking with the Lord? Or is it something we're trying to put on externally? What's amazing about Matthew 12 there is the Pharisees probably thought they were saying all the good stuff. Right? Well, how do you measure your Christianity? How do you know you're a Christian? Is it because you come to church? Um, we were at a church for um, Presbytery, and I'm looking at every church we go to now as we're, thinking about, as we're moving toward building ours. And this church had mailboxes on the outside of the sanctuary. So you, I guess you'd walk in and go, oh, there's the mail for me. You know, I'm not trying, if anyone goes to that church, I'm sorry, it's nowhere near here. Um, but I remember thinking, if I were new here, I would be like, here's what I would be thinking. How do I get my mailbox? What do I have to do to get my own mailbox? Are there any openings? You know, they're all taken. Oh, sorry, your mailbox is in the annex. Or I remember another church had name badges, right? Great idea. You walk in, oh, there's my name badge. What's the thought? What do I have to do to get my own name badge, right? Well, is that how you're measuring yourself? What words are you using to measure yourself? Because Jesus is saying in Matthew 12 that they had the right words, but they were empty. So the point we're getting at is the, the idea of vanity, vainly carrying the name of God, is the outward and the inward don't right? Is God the God of your inner life? That will be revealed in your words. Also, a second area is, this is uh, this is hard to talk about, but I'm really serious about this. Plans. Just plans. What are your, everybody in here has plans. Plans for lunch. Can't wait. Right? Where are we going? Plans for future. Plans for spouse. Plans for travel. Plans for jobs. But I can't tell you how often I'm talking to somebody and I, I never hear them talk about having prayed for their plans. Do you pray? Lord, what is it you would have me do in this situation, in this endeavor? And I've looked at my life and some of the worst things I've done, I don't mean like sin, bad stuff that I knew was bad. I'm talking about I thought I was making a good decision. It was an awful idea. I realized how little I partnered with the Father, how little I invited Him in, Right? Now, I don't mean that you, if you pray and, and, and sincerely read your Scripture and pray that God's going to give you an audible answer, but so often our flesh is running our lives away from God. And it's interesting that the one person who never needed to go to God for planning, Jesus, was the one who went the most. I mean, think about it. He's not only a perfect human being. So that's pretty awesome. He's also God. 
I mean, he could easily go, I don't have to talk to, I'm also in the Trinity here. You know, I don't have to, but what did he do? Over and over, he's seeking God's counsel, his father's counsel. The night before he chooses the apostles, he spends the entire night in prayer. You know that he knew probably something was wrong with Judas. Are you sure, Father? He doesn't seem sincere, and he, he, he bathes it in prayer, and he bathes it in the Lord's will, his plans. Are your plans, is your life stemming from your internal uh, cohesion with the Father? Are you walking with the Lord? Third, a third area would be your identity. These are just three thoughts on whether or not our lives are completely in Christ or not. Speech, planning, events, but also your identity. The word identity has its etymology in sameness, right? That, that our identity, the way we are on the outside, is coherent with who we are on the inside. And the truth is, none of us want to be labeled in our identity. Like if I said, real quick, tell me about yourself in one sentence and went around the room, everybody would hate that, right? I don't have a sentence. I want a paragraph. I want a page. I want a chapter, right? You want to be known on your terms. You want to be able to spell out who you are. But what if I gave you um, all day to work on it? And then you're going to drive back somewhere. We're going to meet that afternoon, and you're going to give me who you are. You're going to get to read it at your own leisure and pace and extrapolate as you want, okay? But as you're driving back, you get in a fender bender. You're angry about it, and I walk up and go, Tell me about yourself. Would it match what you wrote inside? No. Because who we are is constantly in flux. When I'm angry, I'm one way. When I'm fearful, I'm another way. When I'm on top of everything and I'm getting an award, I'm another way. When I'm getting passed over and ignored, I feel a different way. Our identities are constantly shifting. And the only way to be same on the inside as you are on the outside is if your identity is in Christ. That's the only way. And if he's the one producing life in you. Think about um, like a fruit tree. I've used this metaphor before. I actually stole it from a book. Um, But if if you're growing and you have these beautiful apples coming off of your fruit tree coming from within, and someone else sees that and says, I want apples. I want to look as good as this guy. And so they go plant a tree that's dying. So they go staple apples to that tree. That will look good for about an hour. Maybe two. And then they start to fall off. They start to rot. Meanwhile, this tree's apples are flourishing, right? Because this tree, it's an internal change. And the Bible is calling us to have an authenticity that starts on the inside and moves to the outside. But the way we conceive of identity, the way we conceive of change, whether it's speech or or any of these areas, we're trying to change the outside. And even, even the way we take this first or this third commandment, do not take the Lord's name in your vain. Most of us take that legally. I'm going to quit saying bad things. And that's not what God's after. Here's the deal. Authentic Christianity is never based on outward appearance, but on the state of your inner self. That's it. And here's the next part of that. And it can never be based on you. It has to be Jesus. So is your life, are you found in Christ? Is that your identity. 